Well, all year, we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus. I hope that we've got a half a year in. I hope that's starting to register with you at this point. We're trying to learn the way of Jesus. Well, today, we're finishing what was just a brief four-part sermon series to start off the new, the new year, 2023, by focusing on our DNA, our identity and the core values which define who we are and what we're trying to do here as a church. Our core values, as we've said, include inviting people to worship, connecting people in community, training people for ministry, and what we'll talk about today, sending people on mission. Now, at the most fundamental uh, level, foundational level, worship, community, ministry, and mission form the basic building blocks of the Christian life. Every Christian, in every time and place, should be about these four things. Well, today, we're considering the surprising truth that God has given us, me, us, the responsibility of bearing the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he has entrusted to us the responsibility of making disciples of all nations. Now, last week I said that responding to the call of ministry and that is is part of finding our wonderful, beautiful, God-given purpose in life, that every Christian is a minister. You remember that? That was just a week ago. You can nod if you do remember that that message, okay? And that a huge part of finding our God-given purpose in life is learning, discovering, realizing that God has called us to participate with him in the work of ministry, but also participate with him, join him in the work that he is doing, which is the work of salvation in the world. Not that we're saving people, but that every Christian is also a missionary. The other half, this is the other half of discovering our God-given purpose in this world, and really to minister to those within the church and to do carry this, this message of the gospel on mission to the world, Both of these are two sides of the same coin of how we are called to love our neighbor as ourself here and now. Well, okay, the reason why God, have you ever thought about this? The reason why God doesn't just zap you into heaven when you believe in him, when you're saved in Christ, is because we have something to do here. We have a job to do here and now with our lives in this age And so every Christian, as I said, is a missionary. Um, If you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. We'll read through this passage and we're going to unpack it today. 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Okay, so 2 Corinthians in the Bible is an epistle or a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth in the first century A.D. I think I said all that last week, okay? That was on 1 Corinthians. Actually, 2 Corinthians is one of a series of letters back and forth between these people, uh, which we, we only have two preserved in the canon of Scripture, which is First and Second Corinthians, okay? The Corinthians had divisions. They had misunderstandings. They had sin within their body. So they were a local church, okay? So they had problems, all of which needed to be addressed and corrected with grace and truth. And here, Paul has already dealt with most of the issues, I think, and comes back to his motivation and his mission to and for them. And this is what we need to unpack today because the mission of Paul and the gospel motives which drove him in his ministry are the same mission and the same motives that ought to drive followers of Jesus today. So let's start back with verse 11. This is a pretty dense passage, but I have faith that you'll get it. Okay, we'll go slow. Verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope that it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Okay, so let's pause here. <clears throat> so the first, the first motive that Paul gives us here for his mission, for his ministry among the Corinthians is the fear of the Lord. Now we say this often, but the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that Christians are supposed to be afraid of God. Rather, it refers to a reverent awe. The fear of the Lord, I think, is really the recognition that God is God and we are not. We are the creatures. He's the creator. We are being made holy. He's the holy one. Okay, so the Proverbs say that this recognition is the basis for all wisdom and all knowledge and is a fountain of life. Because when you live in that light of that reality, Actually, things tend to go better for us in life. But Paul says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, since we understand that God is God and we are not, we try to persuade others. Persuade others to do what or about what, you might wonder. 
Well, later it becomes clear, if you remember from our reading, that the Apostle Paul is referring to the work of persuasion regarding the person and work of Jesus. Because Paul has recognized that God is God and he is not. He is motivated to help persuade others to know God and love God and serve God and worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So put another way, Paul is motivated in the mission of God because he knows God and wants others to know him as well. Now this is where wisdom is found. This is where true love and joy and peace is found. This is where life, eternal, is found. A personal relationship with God is not only what motivates Paul, but is also, he says, the only credentials that he needs before the Corinthians. Now, one of the issues that the Corinthians had was that they tended to judge people according to external appearances or values. Like, what are your credentials? What's your resume look like? Are you famous? Are you well-known? Did you go to the best schools? What was your GPA? You know, do you have any special accommodations or, or uh, rewards? But these things are, these are all worldly ways of assessing the true importance or value of something or someone. Remember, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Paul's outward appearance and his way of speaking and doing ministry may not have been very impressive from a worldly perspective. He seems to imply that in his letters. Like, you guys weren't that impressed with me. Well, but then think about the ideas that have most influenced the world in the last 2,000 years. And from this man who maybe wasn't very outwardly impressive, after Jesus, the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential people in human history. Almost no one else has had more influence on the way that people think than he, had, than he did. And just because he didn't seem impressive from an external perspective doesn't matter in the mission of God and the ministry of the gospel. What truly matters is that Paul knew God and far more importantly, by the way, God knew Paul. The Lord God Almighty had chosen our brother Paul. So Paul as a result, was more qualified to speak with authority about God than any expert. Now, why does Paul, the mighty apostle, put up with the Corinthians and their doubt of him or their questioning of his authority as an apostle? Because I think because he knew the Lord and he knew the fear of the Lord and was compelled to persuade other people as well. God was more important than them. He couldn't help it. His relationship with God was the most important thing in his life. It defined his life. It gave him life. How could he not tell others about that? Let's continue with our second motive in verse 13. Paul writes, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're crazy, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, then it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Okay, let's pause here. So first, Paul knew the fear of the Lord, that God is God and he was not. And he knew the wisdom and the life that came from that recognition. And second, here, we see the second motive for Paul's mission, which is the love of Christ. For Christ's love compels us. And what a beautiful statement. Christ's love compels us. Why? Because we're convinced Paul had been fully persuaded that Jesus died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Christ. Now this is very similar to what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, there's the love of God again, and gave himself for me. If Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead so that I might live though I die, then my life is his life. <laughs> no longer am I my own. I am Christ's. No longer is my agenda my own. My agenda is his agenda. No longer am I the sovereign Lord over my life. Jesus is Lord. Paul is motivated in his mission because first he knows that God is God and he is not. He lives in a healthy fear of the Lord. But he is also profoundly motivated. In fact, his entire life was turned upside down by the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the Son of God, sent from heaven in the love of God, for God so loved the world that Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we might be saved. Paul isn't just influenced by the gospel. He's not just interested in the gospel. He is compelled by it. He is shot like a rocket and the engine is the gospel and the love of God found therein. If the gospel is true, then everybody needs to hear about it. So from now on, Paul says, we regard nobody through a worldly lens or worldly point of view. It doesn't matter if someone is outwardly beautiful or wealthy or powerful or, or an influencer or smart or funny or whatever whether they have a lot to offer or very little to offer. It doesn't matter. Those things are worldly ways of assessing people's value anyways. Every single person needs to hear the good news about the love of God and what he has accomplished in Jesus. Paul says, at one point, he even had a worldly perspective on Jesus. So Paul sympathizes with the Corinthians who tend to judge poorly. He very much understands them and the way that they tend to think. He says, I used to think like that. 
He's just saying that now he has a totally different perspective on life and on people and on God and faith and the nature of his mission in life. On paper, the person and work of Jesus doesn't immediately appear to be that successful. This is how Paul judged Jesus initially. Jesus was relatively unknown for most of his life. He grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. He didn't have a wife or kids, a big impressive family, tribe. He wasn't a prince or governor. He, he learned the trade of carpentry from the family business. For a few years, he drew attention in a small, out-of-the-way corner of the Roman Empire, not in Rome, not even in Jerusalem, but kind of near Jerusalem in Judea. But then he was arrested, tried, and was crucified, which presumably brought an end to the movement of Jesus. So why in the world are we talking about this man 2,000 years later? Well, because from a worldly perspective, what might have looked like a tiny little blip that happened a very long time ago was actually the most significant event in human history. It was the moment that God entered his creation to seek and to save those who were lost and separated from him. It was when the Son of God broke into the strong man's house and liberated those who were held captive in a kingdom of darkness. It was the greatest victory and the turning point of all time. We still mark time by when Jesus came. Why? Because in Jesus, God accomplished everything needed for our salvation. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, a life without sin. But then Jesus died the death on the cross to pay the penalty under the law for our sins so that we might be forgiven and freed from the power of sin. Jesus was buried, but on the third day, he rose from the dead, breaking the power of death for all who would repent and believe in him. This, in a nutshell, is what the gospel proclamation is all about. It's news of what Jesus has done. And Paul gives us the result of this stunning news in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, by faith in Jesus, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us <clears throat> the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. In Jesus, God is making all things new. But start it, he starts at the heart level of those who believe in him and is working his way out into the ends of the earth, in fact, the ends of the cosmos from there. So in Jesus, we discover the healthy fear of the Lord, that he is God and we are not. Praise the Lord. I would be such a bad God. Have you ever had that thought? I'm so, I would be so vindictive. I would punish 
so many of you unnecessarily. <laughs> so praise the Lord, I'm not him. Amen, thank you. <clears throat> In Jesus, we discover the healthy fear of the Lord. He's the Lord and I am not both in knowing God in, in a personal relationship with him, but also as, as Jesus taught that, that God is our heavenly father, a loving father in heaven whom we can approach with boldness because of his abundant grace and mercy that we see in the gospel. In Jesus, we also discover the depths of the love of God and we see what God was willing to give in order to be reconciled to us. In Jesus, we are being made new. Not just made better. It's not as though you are 80% acceptable to God and Jesus bumps you up the rest of the way. You need to die and be born again. <laughs> that is good news, actually. For, in, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The old has gone, the new is here. And what good news is that? Who you were and what you have done or what has been done to you does not define you in Christ. Your sins and struggles and some of the sins against you may be a part of your story, but they are not your identity in Christ. Your failures and foolishness and all manner of shortcomings might still be in your memory and slightly embarrassing, but they are not who you are in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. All the ways that you tried to save yourself over the years and all the ways that you tried to coerce God into blessing you or accepting you or helping you are done in Christ. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Stop trying to earn your own salvation. The old has gone and the new is here. So you have a brand new heart, a new identity, a new purpose, a new family, a new Lord, a new God and mission in Jesus Christ. Because the old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God. It is a gift of grace. This isn't something you have to earn or pay for later. The gospel is a gift of God's grace. It was costly for Jesus to give, but it is free for us to receive by faith. And again, if this is true, everybody needs to hear about it. But for some crazy reason, God has specifically given, entrusted to us, his children, his disciples, his people, with his message and his mission of reconciliation. Now I could think of many other options that I think would be better for getting the word out of who God is and what he's up to in the world, especially about the person and work of Jesus, uh, than to entrust that to us. Okay, that seems like, it, it seems unwise at best. But this is what God has done. He has entrusted to us this message and this mission. And so therefore, we, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal 
through us, weak vessels that we are, we carry the water of life. Well, whether you fully understood it or not, when you trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you are now in his royal service. You have been conscripted as his ambassador. Who's? The king of everything. And you have been reconciled to God through the person and work of Jesus. So like Paul, you are bearing a message that you have first received in him. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which is accomplished by sharing in word and deed the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel. And as we share this good news, God himself is making a very real and a very powerful appeal through us by the truth of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is not just information. You need to know. It is a call to action. Now, it's not a call to action in that we need to do certain things in order to be saved. Jesus has done everything needed already, which is why it's a response of faith, of hearing and believing in him. Paul gives an example of this call to action at the end of the chapter here, starting with the second half of verse 20. Look back at that. We implore you on Christ's behalf, here's Paul speaking as an ambassador, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the question is, do you want to be made new? Do you want to become the righteousness of God? Do you want to know God and be known by him? Do you want to be finally forgiven and freed from the power of sin? Do you want to be able to face anything that this world has to throw at you, even death, and not be afraid? You need to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Would you be reconciled to God? But the good news is that God has already done everything needed for you to be reconciled with him in Jesus. This is why the invitation to respond is to repent and believe the good news. There is no one exempt from this. All are invited. Christ died for all, he says. For those who live, we live in him. The call to repentance is to turn Turn from your way and turn to the way of Jesus. And believe, the call to believe in Jesus is to trust him with your life. Trust him with your past. Trust him with what you face today. Trust him with your future and the good promises that he has made for that. But if you do, you will experience the great exchange of the gospel. Jesus will take your sin and death, and you will get his righteousness and life. Well, what does this mean for today? We often ask that question. A million things. Uh, sermon series after sermon series is what this means for us. 
Well, last week we saw that every Christian is a minister with spiritual gifts designed to produce spiritual fruit. And we, we have been called in Jesus to minister to one another here in the body of Christ in the church so that we all may be built up in faith, in knowledge, in unity, and in love. Well, here today we see that every Christian is also a missionary. Every Christian is an ambassador for Christ, which means we represent King Jesus and the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of this world. Our calling isn't just to do ministry within the walls of our church, although that's a huge part of our purpose in, in life. But it is also to join the mission of God out there in the world. And we discover in the word of God, he's already there. He's already at work. He's already working in the lives and in the hearts of people that we are called to share good news with. Now some of us, like the Apostle Paul, or like maybe some of our other mission partners in the gospel uh, that we support as a church, you might be sent out to a foreign land, to a completely different culture or language or people for Christ, to represent his kingdom there. The Apostle Paul was sent out from the church at Antioch with Barnabas to bring the gospel to other places and other peoples. But particularly for Paul, his assignment was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish peoples around the northern half of the Roman Empire. That's not my assignment. It probably isn't your assignment either. That was what God called Paul to do. Paul became known as the apostle to the Gentiles because the Holy Spirit sent him to them. But many, if not most of us, have been sent by God already to the people and places where we are currently located. To our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our workplace, to our friends, to our family members. Holly and I, several years ago now, were called by God and sent out from the church where we grew up, where we were very comfortable, where Holly was on staff, we had a good thing going, lots of friends and family members there we deeply loved to start a new church here in the same community where we grew up. In hindsight, it's kind of easy to see why, but at the time, it seemed, as Paul said, like maybe we were out of our minds. If we were crazy, it was for the Lord, at least. Well, we understand how the gospel impacts life here. So looking back, it's, it makes more sense than it did at the time. We understand life here. We understand how the gospel impacts life here. Many people who knew us when we were young, they can see how Jesus has changed our lives along the way in so many ways. But our story isn't that radical. Paul's story isn't that radical. These stories are our story. Because every Christian is sent. Every Christian is a missionary. Sent by God with the gospel so that men and women everywhere might hear and believe and be made new in Jesus. Every Christian is a missionary. And that's whether you're sent around the world or across the street. We are sent out to share the good news of Jesus in word and in deed by what we say and how we live 
with a world that is lost without him. This is our DNA. This is who we are as a, as a church. So today, let's get after it. Let's get after this wonderful work of God because we too fear the Lord. And we too are compelled by the love of God that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we too, just like our brother Paul and many other brothers and sisters in Christ down through the ages, we are ambassadors for the king that we love and serve. And his kingdom, which is our true home, that we have the honor of representing to the kingdoms and peoples of this world. But also, think about it, the only reason any of us are here is because others, maybe it was a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was our parents or grandparents, someone was faithful to do the work of the gospel in our lives. So we are only, again, sharing what we have received first as a gift of grace. So may we be faithful, men and women, to this calling and discover and enjoy this incredible God-given purpose for life in being able to represent Jesus to a world that is lost without him. And this is for his glory and for their good and for our joy. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have decided according to your love and your will to save us in Jesus and we can do nothing but say thank you and we praise you and Lord help us to live the whole of our lives in response to that good news. Lord Jesus, you did not hesitate to come into this world and to lay down your life to be to, to embody our sin and be a, become a sin offering for us so that we might be made new, born again, recreated by your power and your grace into your likeness so that we might become the men and women that you have created us to be. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this work. We cannot do this mission. We cannot share good news in word or in deed without your power. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us today and empower us to be bold and courageous in our faith, to not be ashamed to share the name of Jesus with the people that we love in this world, and maybe even people that we don't yet know. But Lord, give us a vision. Give us your vision for the peoples of this world. Not that they are our enemies, but they are our potential brother or sister in Christ who we will enjoy and enjoy life with forevermore. God, we pray that you would give us a healthy fear of the Lord. You would give us wisdom. You would give us courage. You would give us everything we need to accomplish this mission, which is your mission. And that we would see that as you send us out, you also go with us. And there is no place that we would go in this world. There's nowhere, no corner of the cosmos we could find ourselves alone without you. So Lord, empower us. May your presence fill us and empower us and guide us in this work. And Lord, may all this be uh, a testimony to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.